Well, hey, it's Mike Honig from University of Iowa Center for Disabilities and Development. We are Iowa's University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities. And together with the Midwest Public Health Training Center with the College of Public Health, are very excited to produce the Disability Exchange podcast series. And we're especially excited about today's guest who we'll introduce in just a moment. But I would first like to give our co-host an opportunity to introduce herself. So Caitlin, take it away. Hello, my name is Caitlin Owens. I work with Mike at the USED and I'm so happy to be here. Thanks a lot, Caitlin. And we are thrilled to have uh, Zach Meekum as our guest. First of all, Zach, is that the correct pronunciation of your last name? That is correct. You're one of the few to get it right the first time. You usually hear Meekum and Meacham and everything but what it's supposed to be. Exactly. Well, excellent. Well, um, I have worked with Zach, I think, for just about a year now. Um, and I'll go into that story in a little bit. But uh, at this point, I'd like to ask you, Zach, to go ahead and introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your uh, experience in the disability space. Uh, yeah, so my name is Zach Meekum. And uh, I started doing disability advocacy when I was in college. I I started getting serious about disability advocacy. I should say when I was in college, when I was invited to speak on a panel hosted by the Harkin Institute. Um, Through that, some of the things that I said got noticed and uh, I got a position at Disability Rights Iowa doing communications. And then uh, I also got an article written about me in the Des Moines Register. And from there, I just started getting tapped in to the disability community. And it opened my eyes to a lot of problems that I was previously shielded from. And I had a particular skill set and ability to tell stories and write and shoot video and design. And I decided to put those skills to use um, fighting for disability rights. And the rest is kind of history from there. What uh, drew you to disability rights advocacy uh, in the first place? Um, That's a good question. I would say originally it started when I was confronted with income and asset limitations and personal care issues, trying to go to college and trying to pay for college and trying to live on my own. Um, when I stopped relying solely on family members to provide my personal care, I was confronted with a lot of systemic issues surrounding disability um, and Medicaid particularly. So just to clarify for our audience, so you identify as a person with a disability? I do, that's correct. So tell us a little bit more about kind of what you had to do to address some of those issues you confronted? Yeah, so when I turned 18, um, I started accessing waiver services. And uh, I went to Drake University to get my degree. um, And I wanted to live in the dorm my first year. So I sought out personal care um, and tried to get that paid for. I uh, was confronted with issues of caregiver pay. Um, My caregivers weren't paid uh, adequately or on time ever. Um, I was confronted with all kinds of red tape issues. Um, And then 
you know, as I started to work to try to pay tuition for college, because not all my tuition was covered. I had to work through college and pay a lot out of pocket. Uh, I was confronted with income limitations that made it harder to be able to pay for my schooling. Yeah, and I'm sure if those caregivers didn't get paid right away, you had a hard time hanging on to them too. Oh yeah, I went through caregivers so fast. I lived in Des Moines and went to college for about a year and a half. And in that year and a half, I went through three separate caregivers. Um, Just like every semester, it was like they would give me the notice and then leave. And I couldn't blame them. Um, They weren't getting paid enough. It was a lot of work, you know, and they had lives too. So yeah, I was always having to find new people. And uh, those people weren't always prepared for the work that was involved, especially with the pay. Yeah, that's such a challenge. And then kind of on the other side of things, you're also talking about confronting an issue where suddenly you were making too much money according to, you know, certain rules. Um, Can you talk more about that? And, you know, I know it's a really big catch 22 for a lot of people with disabilities who can and want to work. Yeah. Yeah. So I never got to a place where I was making too much money because I learned about those laws early enough to kind of avoid it. But it was uh, uh, one of those times where I was like having to work just up to those income limits and then no more. And then kind of living uh, very, very frugally, um, even for a college student, in order to pay for my tuition and uh, pay for my living expenses. You like ramen noodles? I did in college, and now I cannot eat them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That might give you some insight into how cheaply I lived. I guess you do what you have to do. Well, one of the things that I learned about you, Zach, just um, as we were coming, you know, before we actually started recording, um, I, I knew that you um, had done some PR work for or some marketing, um, some kinds of things for Upgrade Medicaid um, and some other initiatives. But I, I did, had not known that you were um, active in that organization at one point and um we had the opportunity to talk with Jen Wolf just a couple weeks ago. So tell us a little bit about what you did with Upgrade Medicaid and why you are not able to be as active anymore. Uh, Yeah, so with Upgrade Medicaid, I was kind of connected with Jen um, when I was working at the Harkin Institute. And this was when Upgrade Medicaid was really in its infancy. A lot of people had no idea what Upgrade Medicaid was, what our goals were, what we were trying to do. Um, And I had some social media experience working with uh, Disability Rights Iowa. Um, I also, at this point, had free time because I'd just gotten out of college and I was working full time, um, which actually was less work than going to school and having part-time jobs. Um, So I dedicated a lot of that free time to sharing stories of others who frankly had it worse than me. I was lucky. You know, my family was there for me. I was able to get free personal care from them. Um, I had a stable situation. I was making an income. Um, Other people just had it 
so much worse. Um, and I wanted people to be aware of these issues. So what I did is I went around the state and I interviewed people for podcasts to share these stories. And then I would take those podcasts and record video and share those videos online. Um, and I've kind of managed the entire upgrade Medicaid social media presence for the first year and was able to really help build its influence. Um, I emphasize the word help because it was not just me, Jen Wolf, Tucker Cassidy. Those two probably worked harder than I did in that time and made a lot of connections for me. But my involvement was really on the content end. Why I can't help now is because after leaving the Harkin Institute, I started to build my own business. And as anybody who's ever built a business knows, it's a lot of work um, and a lot of time to kind of get your name out there and get people to know what it is you do. And I just couldn't dedicate 10, 20 hours a week to giving content for free when my business was making content, um, which is unfortunate because I really, really liked that work um, and I thought it's important, but I had to do what I had to do. Absolutely understandable. We have to, we only have so much time. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the business that you built? Um, my business is Zach of All Trades Media, and I basically do the kind of things that I did for Disability Rights Iowa and Upgrade Medicaid, but uh, for freelance. So I'll do them for like the SOAR conference that I'm working with Mike on, or uh, I'll do them for um, small businesses, other nonprofits. Um, I'm interviewing for a gig now with a tax startup that I'm really hoping I get because it'd be a cool opportunity. Um, I get paid to write funny tweets for a living. That'd be one of my gigs. And I've always said that the pinnacle of my social media career will be when I can get paid to write funny tweets. <laughs> so, um, Well, maybe you could write some funny tweets for sore. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's Does definitely sore have a Twitter? Not yet. It's kind of something that we're discussing, but um, we're not sure if it'll be this year or next year. I think anybody in the advocacy community should definitely strongly consider Twitter. I think that's where most of the advocacy discussions and community gathers and happens. So yeah, if I could write funny tweets for an advocacy organization, that'd be really cool. Cool. So uh, we probably should inform our, our listeners about SOAR. Unfortunately, it will have taken place by the time this is aired, I believe. And um, we've talked about it a little bit on, on some previous podcasts, but um, it is a regional advocacy conference. And um, with four states being involved, although since it's virtual, we've actually opened it up and we have people registered from all over the country. Um, and Zach has played um, a huge part in that. Uh, I first met Zach when he got involved with uh, the ADA, the Johnson County 30th Americans with Disabilities Act celebration. And um, I have to confess, Zach, I've never shared this with you before, but I heard your name kind of kicked around. Uh, then I heard, well, it's Zach Meekum from Des Moines. And I thought, hey, what's the deal? Why are we getting a guy involved from Des Moines um, with the Johnson County ADA celebration? But it turned out he did a wonderful job. We ended up having to take it from being a live event to being virtual. And um, 
there was a particular time during the conference when I was using my screen reader and somehow I got bumped out and I just remember emailing Zach and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to hear from him because he's doing his thing with the conference. And like two minutes later, I get this response and says, we're working on it, try logging back in and it worked. And I thought when we decided to go virtual with SOAR, that we really needed to get Zach involved. And, and I was thrilled when you said, you know, not only are you doing it because it's giving you some income, but you consider yourself a disability advocate. And um, so you were sort of serving a, a dual purpose by getting involved with SOAR. Yeah, a big part of why I wanted to run my own business over, you know, I could probably gotten a corporate communications gig. And, you know, to be totally frank, if I got a job at corporate, I'd probably be making more money, but I love being able to uh, pick my clients and work with clients that I believe in and do work that I value. Um, And that keeps me motivated and that helps me to do my best work. So clients like SOAR, the SOAR committee, are people that I love to work with because I know that I'm not just doing work to help somebody turn a profit. I'm doing work that's mission-oriented and matters. So... One thing that we know about you from communications before this podcast is that you're really passionate about entrepreneurship and employment for people with disabilities, um, which is not surprising given all that we've talked about so far. But can you talk a little bit more about kind of that interest of yours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, A big interest in uh, entrepreneurship and employment for people with disabilities has to do with technology. So um, my first job at a college, or not at a college, at a high school, is I got a job at an IT office when I was 19. And I worked IT for five years. So I got really heavily involved in technology. I developed an interest. In my opinion, digital communications is also a tech job. You know, there's a creative aspect, but there's also a technical aspect. So I really appreciate and value technology. And uh, I think that in 2021, with the availability of technology, assistive or otherwise, and the availability of remote work, I think disabled people all around the world have a real opportunity to do work that is meaningful to them and to contribute to society. Um, And I just wanna, wanna see that happen. I want to see more disabled people, people with disabilities working, um, because I think they can. Um, And part of that is going to be addressing the barriers related to work. Absolutely. You know, and a big conversation that I've seen in kind of disability advocacy spaces and, and elsewhere throughout the pandemic is how, you know, if a bright side, I, I guess you could say, which it's been a long, hard pandemic, but you know, is that suddenly, you know, our spaces are actually more inclusive and, you know, things are being offered online and, you know, remote work went from something that people were kind of skeptical about to being something that a lot of companies and and other, you know, employers are embracing, um, you know, which is great for a lot of people. And, you know, I think there's also a fear too that, you know, after the pandemic, like how will we kind of balance both the you know desire for some people to be back in person but also you know hold on to some of those really value add um aspects like an event you know that could previously not be attended by 
you know, people because maybe they have transportation barriers or, you know, other reasons for, for not attending something. Absolutely. Um, I've been saying for years and years and years and years that remote work is the future. I, I think it just makes sense, right? You look at large companies and I did some work at Gravitate Coworking. It's, I'm a member at Gravitate Coworking space in Des Moines. And you look at a company like Integer, one of the largest international marketing companies, and they've gotten smart, right? They don't have home offices very often anymore. They're doing remote work because it reduces their overhead. And if you're doing business online with clients all around the country, why don't you tap in to the best talent online all around the country? This also opens up so many opportunities for disabled people that have a hard time getting out. Maybe they can't drive. Uh, maybe they have chronic pain and they need flexibility. Um, there are all kinds of reasons why it's easier for a lot of people with disabilities to work from home. That's a market, a job market or um, employees that you can tap into, potentially really talented people that couldn't otherwise work that you now have access to. You know, it'd be interesting, Zach. I don't know how, how much, if any, involvement you had with folk rehab. But um, that's actually many, many years ago, I, my master's was in counselor ed. And at one time I worked as a rehab teacher for the state of Iowa. I never actually served as a counselor, but you know, one of the things that, that I'm really hoping for, and I think you're, you're really helping us or helping me anyway, think outside the box a little bit here is that I, I hope that those people who are involved in supporting people with disabilities and facilitating them to get jobs are uh, I, I hope we get an audience of people in that category that are listening to this podcast, because I think I, you know, perhaps the rehab entities are kind of moving in that direction. But I think if, if not, I think that certainly, you know, it, it goes not only from the standpoint of an employer, but people who are supporting people to get jobs need to really get creative and think about the many ways to, to bring people into online work. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, there, there are so many different types of online work that needs to be done that you can tap into whatever people's aptitudes are. And because you have access to this global network, you can work for companies globally. Like that's huge. I think the fact that, and this is kind of an aside, but I think the fact that, you know, disability, anything has not become more widely accessible yet is kind of sad. I look at Tommy Hilfiger Adaptive, right? You can't really, having adaptive clothing, right, in a storefront, maybe isn't the most practical thing in the world because distributing adaptive clothing, which is such a narrow niche market that way, isn't very profitable. But marketing online, where you can access a global network of people that need those things, just makes sense. So um, just like dis disabled consumers should be served by the online market, disabled employees should also absolutely be served by this online market. It just makes sense. That's such a good point. That's really interesting. 
It is. And is that, as I'm, I'm just curious, cause I don't know the answer to this question, Zach, but is that how you got connected with the ADA celebration last year? I know that um, there's a, a young woman here in Iowa city named Aaron Noon, who has, um, has also created a, a space um, claiming disability Inc. And um, I know was involved in, in coordinating the conference here in Iowa city last year, where you did the two of you connect online that way. And yeah. Well, ironically enough, uh, the first time Aaron and I met was in person at an Upgrade Medicaid event. Um, but we've only met in person twice. Um, and then the vast majority of our communication and networking has been online. And uh, I've subcontracted her for work. She's subcontracted me. We talk about business a lot. We talk about online work a lot because we both really value the way the internet can empower people with disabilities all over the country and world. Um, so yeah, she's the one who connected me with the Johnson County ADA celebration. And that's how I got connected with you all and uh, how I ended up getting the SOAR conference. So I actually owe her um, a lot of credit for a lot of the cool work that I've gotten through the University of Iowa and Johnston County. Yeah, we need to bring her on to the show too. I we have not done that yet, but we'll well that'll be a fun ride. Yeah. <laughs> She'll definitely she definitely will have a lot to say. Yes, she will. It'll it'll be a lot of fun. But I think the the point is that um just the, the social networking and you know, I'm hoping um personally for you that that SOAR will end up getting you some other gigs because we have people from all four states and um, we have a, a marketing manager that's doing, or not a marketing manager, rather, but an internet platform manager that's, that's uh, we're involved with as well. But I, people, I think are really recognizing the great work that you're doing behind the scenes. And um, so anyway, hopefully that, that will lead to some more networking opportunity or some more uh, job opportunities. For sure. And uh, if nothing else, I've been really grateful to kind of get connected to that um, Midwest network of disability advocates. And that's been really cool in and of itself. If it leads to more work, that'd be thrilling, um, especially because, you know, I, I always need more work. But uh, I just am really glad that I've been connected with all those great disability advocates and movers and shakers, so to speak. Let's take a quick step back here. You mentioned a couple of times that you worked um, not only for Disability Rights Iowa, um, you said you did some marketing work there and that they're one of our sister agencies actually with the USED in terms of our funding, but that you also worked with Senator Harkin. Um, tell us a little bit about that job. That had to be really interesting. I mean, just being in that sphere and um, knowing you as I do through the work with SOAR that you developed quite a relationship with Senator Harkin. Yeah. Um, working for the Harkin Institute is probably one of the jobs that I will always be most proud of. Um, my job through them was actually through the AmeriCorps VISTA program. And my specific role was twofold. One um, is that I was recruiting people for their Washington, D.C. scholarships. So one of the m major things that Tom Harkin wanted to do with the Harkin Institute was empower students from uh, lower income backgrounds to intern in Washington, DC. Because as anybody knows, uh, DC is an accredited, 
incredibly expensive place to live and work. And uh, up until very recently, um, most interns in DC were not paid anything. Hmm. Um, So one of the things the Institute offered was scholarships for these students with low-income backgrounds. So a major part of my job was making sure that Drake students were aware of this opportunity, felt supported in taking advantage of this opportunity, and uh, were able to intern in DC if they wanted to. And then the other part was making sure that the student worker population at the Harkin Institute was inclusive, that we were including students from all backgrounds and they felt welcomed and comfortable. Um, And that's really what I did is outreach on campus. So it was a communications position, but it was more of a boots on the ground communication position that involved a lot of talking to students and helping them to know everything that the Harkin Institute had to offer for them. Very cool. I'm also a former AmeriCorps VISTA, so always interesting to hear from folks who did that as well. Yeah, it, it was an awesome opportunity. I'll always be grateful for that. So among everything else that you've been doing, Zach, I, I know that you recently um, entered the realm of being a homeowner. So talk us through a little bit about that process and, and knowing now that you have some accessibility needs. How did you go about selecting a, a home and, and how accessible is it right now? And how accessible do you think it'll be when you're done? So yeah, this has been quite an adventure already. I uh, bought a house um, in my hometown uh, and I'm really excited about the purchase. The whole idea, because as you all probably know, um, there are very limited opportunities for disabled people to kind of invest um, and to kind of take those major steps towards financial independence. Um, And I'm a big believer in fiscal responsibility. I want to be able to live a life free of a lot of major financial worries. So one of those big steps is that I bought this house and I am renting the top floor out to my little brother who is a general contractor by trade. So what we're doing with this house is we're buying it. We're going to live in it for a year or two, flip it, and hopefully make some income on it. So it's a really old house, over 100 years old. It's a little bit quirky, and it is uh, not at all handicap accessible. So right now, temporarily, we're using a motorcycle ramp to get me up on the deck so I can go through the side entrance. And we've uh, nailed down some two-by-fours to kind of get over the threshold into the house. So not at all accessible. The way that we're accessing it right now is by no means ADA compliant. Um, But by the time we're done, our front deck will have a ramp on it. It'll have an accessible door. The bathroom is going to be opened up with a walk-in shower. Um, And it's going to be a beautiful home. And I'm really excited. And it'll get there probably right about the time that we have to sell it. But... But um, what's nice is this is because I have the advantage of that labor from my little brother, we're going to be able to make a good profit and then split it. And it's really going to help us both to kind of 
set ourselves up for our future success. And that's kind of the goal with this house. Well, one thing I really love about that too, you know, in addition to like the income it, it will generate is that a lot of people really like historic houses, but, and, but so few of them, you know, are accessible. So you're also, you know, it's also really a, a public service to be taking, you know, a historic house and, and making it accessible, you know, and then selling it to a future homeowner. Right, exactly. Well, and what we're kind of thinking is by the time this is done, this would be a great home for retirees. Mm-hmm. And it will have that upstairs area for, you know, grandkids, bedrooms, or whatever. Um, it's going to be a beautiful little house that's going to have that really accessible bottom floor. And then it's going to have just a little upstairs area for whoever wants it. And right now that upstairs area is my brother, his daughter, and his wife's space. And then I've kind of got the lower level here. And then obviously we share the living room. Well, and I even just think about, you know, people just scrolling through Zillow or, you know, looking around at houses and, you know, even if they don't end up, you know, purchasing that house, they, you know, they'll see it and they'll think, oh, huh, historic houses can be accessible or, oh, wow, I never really thought about a, putting a ramp on a, you know, an old porch or something like that, which is, which is cool. And, and we'll also have just kind of, you know, impacts on the way people see and think about spaces and, you know, versus right. design and things like that. Well, and if you look at like wheelchair accessible homes, a lot of them, you know, the the accessibility is an afterthought. So you get those kind of bolted on metal ramps that don't look that pretty, right? Or anything like that. And uh, because my brother is skilled at what he does and I trust him, um, we're going to be able to make an accessible house that's also a beautiful house. And I think that that in itself is kind of a proof of concept. Yeah, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive for sure. Exactly. Well, Zach, I'm wondering if there, you know, as we're kind of approaching the end of our time here, if there's anything we haven't asked you about that you want to touch on, Mike, if, if there's any other questions you have aside from our, our big golden question. The golden question. No, I'm, I'm, I've, I think I've covered my questions. Zach, what about anything you want to share? Um, you can do a shameless I, plug for your business if you want to. Yeah. Uh, hire me. I do, <laughs> I do all kinds of stuff. Um, they don't call me Zach of all trades for nothing. I great um, business name, by the way, <laughs> I won't. Thank you it. very much. I appreciate that. I'm a big believer in branding. So, you know, um, the benefit of kind of working a various range of nonprofit communications is that I had to wear a ton of hats. You know, I was the photographer, the designer, the writer, the editor, the web master, you know, you name it, I had to do it. So that gave me a wide range of skills, but it also gave me an aptitude. So if I don't know how to do something yet, I can learn. Oh, I can just go ahead. Sorry. And I just love being able to help, you know, organizations that, uh, because everybody in 2021 needs to be able to communicate with their audience online, no matter who that is. And I love being able to kind of bring people into that space and help them. So yeah, it's really exciting. 
one of the latest things that Zach is, well, I think you've had some experience already, but he refined his skills is that we were told that we needed to do a uh, plain language version of our SOAR program. So Zach got on that and, and he and another planning committee member really spent a lot of time and we got, we've got what we think is a pretty exciting product now. So um, he certainly is a man of all, of many trades, of all trades. So um, yeah. So are you going to ask the golden question or am I? Sure, I'll do it. So Zach, a question that we like to close (laughs) the podcast off with is asking guests to tell us what they would like their legacy to be. Hmm. My legacy, that's interesting. Um, So I don't know if we covered this yet in terms of um, my dream is to make movies full time, right? So um, I think my greatest skill is video and I've made some short films. So I guess my legacy would be kind of tied to that and tied to storytelling, I think. At its core, what I do best is tell stories. Um, And I just want my legacy to be... um, inspiring people and motivating people through stories. I think that a real, a really impactful story has the power to change the world. Um, That may sound corny, but I believe it wholeheartedly. I think that if you can really touch somebody through a great story, you can motivate them to create change. Or, you know, in a marketing world, you can motivate them to buy something, which, you know, is part of my job. Um, But storytelling is really how people come to understand the world and are moved to take action. So I would say that if my legacy would be to really move people and empower them through storytelling. I absolutely love that. Me too. That is so true. And, you know, people, I think, are really recognizing the power of stories in so many different spaces. I know that's one of the things in our LEM training program we talk a lot about are the personal stories. And I know there have been some uh, that we actually have some training within that the program on personal stories. So I, it's very, it's very, very timely, I think. Mm-hmm. And lots of people yeah. want to share theirs. How we connect with others, how we humanize our experiences and how we take, you know, something that could be just presented through data and statistics and, you know, kind of make it real and and impactful. So that's great. Well, best wishes to you, Zach. It was so nice meeting you. And thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with us. Nice meeting you as well. And thank you so much for having me. This was uh, fun. It was very fun. And thanks for joining us. And we'll be in touch uh, on SOAR and hopefully some other things very soon. Thank you for joining us today on Disability Exchange. Disability Exchange is produced by the University Center for Excellence in Developmental Disabilities, which is housed at the Center for Disabilities and Development at the University of Iowa. Special thanks to Kyle Delvaux for the music contribution.